There's an intriguing new trend involving today's multi-generational workforce, bringing an assortment of skills, expertise, and life experiences to the workplace. And it's interesting that researchers at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, have found that age diversity in the workplace not only improves performance and productivity, but also enhances the employee experience. Welcome back to ClearPath, your roadmap to health and wealth. I'm your host, Al Waller. And joining me is Catherine Collinson, CEO and president of nonprofit Transamerica Institute to discuss what a multi-generational workforce is and how employers can foster one. But before we get started, just a reminder, we'd love to hear from you and learn what topics you'd like us to cover or give us feedback on today's program. So please drop either Catherine or me a note at info at transamericacenter.org. Well, Catherine, could you start us off by describing what the term multi-generational workforce means? Today, there are four, and some experts would even argue five, generations currently in the workforce, hence the term multi-generational. Generation Z is the youngest generation, and many are not yet of working age. The oldest Gen Zers are about 25 years old. Millennials, who used to be the youngest generation in the workforce, are no longer. They're now in their mid-20s, and the oldest millennials are in their early 40s. Generation X is in its early 40s to late 50s, and baby boomers are now in their late 50s to late 70s. These are the four generations that are in the workforce. Now, as I mentioned, some experts argue about a fifth generation. That's the silent generation, and the youngest of the silent generation are now 77 years old. And believe it or not, there are still a few that are still in the workforce. Well, when you consider all this, it's really quite remarkable. I mean, think about it. The age span of today's working population is 60 plus years. On top of that, it encompasses a tremendous degree of diversity in terms of education and skills and work experience. And then you throw in uh, the fact that older workers who were born in the 1950s have very different childhoods and life experiences than, say, those born in the early uh, 2000s. And think about this other one. Workers born in the 1950s were well into their 40s before the internet came online, whereas those born in the early 2000s have never lived in a world without the internet. And I think that's pretty extraordinary. Al, these are terrific examples. And let's just pause on that. Spanning 60 years, we have a workforce with age ranges spanning 60 years. And I'd like to invite our listeners to really think about all the ways that the world and the workforce has changed, especially in recent decades. Think about societal changes, advances in technology, the knowledge-based economy. We've solved some problems over the decades, and we have some more that we're facing right now. But just think of the wide range of skills and life experience that workers are bringing to the workplace. It's really exciting. The multi-generational workforce can promote innovation, problem solving, and productivity, and it makes for an exciting workplace for employees. Yet the power of the multi-generational workforce has not yet been fully recognized or realized by employers. Our most recent employer survey finds that almost 9 in 10 employers 
consider themselves to be age-friendly. And when I use the term age-friendly, I mean by offering opportunities, work arrangements, and training and tools needed for workers of all ages to be successful. So 9 in 10 employers think they're age-friendly. Our worker survey tells us otherwise. Only 65% of workers say their employers are age-friendly. And then the percentage of workers drops among baby boomers. Only 59% of baby boomers think their employers are age-friendly. Talk about a major disconnect. So then what measures uh, would you recommend employers take to become more age-friendly and fostering a culture of diversity, equity, as well as inclusion for their employees of all ages? Great question. There are emerging best practices that I hope employers will consider implementing. Based on my own team's research, I'd love to share with you some of these best practices and the extent to which employers either are or are not yet offering them. How does that sound? Sounds great. Share away, Catherine. What's uh, the first best practice that you'd uh, like to cover with us? A true testament of an employer's commitment to age-friendly workplaces is communicating its philosophy. Only 34% of employers of for-profit companies have implemented a diversity and inclusion policy statement that specifically references age among other commonly referenced demographic characteristics. It sounds like there's uh, room for a lot of improvement here. How about another best practice? The next best practice relates to an employer's emphasis on professional growth and development. With workers potentially spending more time in the workforce over their working years, especially in today's fast-paced environment, it's so important that we all embrace lifelong learning and keep our job skills up to date. According to our survey findings, fewer than 6 in 10 employers emphasize professional growth and development either a great deal or quite a bit as part of their corporate culture. Now, for the job seekers out there, I think this is a really important topic for you to inquire about when considering employment opportunities. Just think about an employer that you can go work for versus one that you can go work for and grow with because they do have a commitment to your professional growth. Uh, That leads to more opportunities with that employer or someday later on your next employer. Agreed there. And I think it works both ways because I I witnessed and interviewed far too many who allow their skills to erode over the years. Now, for instance, I'm talking about folks in the field of information technology clinging to their legacy technology that became somewhat dated and ultimately limited their demand, making them less marketable or promotable for that matter. What are some specific types of programs that employers currently offer to promote lifelong learning? Let's start with job training. Fewer than half of employers, only 45%, offer job training. Even fewer offer professional development programs or tuition reimbursement for continuing education. I would like to point out our research finds that larger companies are much more likely to offer these types of programs than smaller companies. What about programs that relate specifically to the multi-generational workforce? Let's talk about mentorships. 37% of employers have mentorship programs that are typically between older and younger employees. 
but fewer than one in four employers have mutual or what we call reverse mentorships. For example, sharing intergenerational skills and experience. A common example of a reverse mentorship could be a younger employee who teaches a colleague about a new technology. Years ago, I had the fantastic experience of a mutual mentorship. It was with a digital team, and this team was writing about 401ks, but they didn't know about 401ks. I needed to get on social media. I needed to learn Twitter. I didn't know Twitter. (laughs) And we worked out an arrangement where I taught them about 401ks so that they could write their articles, and they taught me Twitter. That's an example of a mutual mentorship. It wasn't formal, but that's exactly what it was. And it was just so much fun. And speaking of skills and skills transfer, another exciting attribute and best practice in the multi-generational workforce is internships. Internships are a way to bring people of all ages together to help people who are recent college graduates or just entering the workforce gain that practical knowledge and hands-on experience. Approximately one in four employers offer internship programs. I would love to see this number higher. We have interns in internships for our team, and they just bring so much to to our team, our culture, and how we work together. And it's really exciting to see them grow their skills and embark on their careers. Approximately the same number, one in four employers, have what are called returnships. And returnships are internships for people who are returning to the workforce. These could be stay-at-home mom and dads, veterans, and even retirees. Internships and uh, returnships are other great ways to foster a multi-generational workforce. And then the last thing I'd like to touch on when we, in this whole context of growth and development, is training programs. Relatively few employers have training programs that address generational differences and help prevent age discrimination. Even fewer employers have multi-generational employee resource groups, or ERGs. Well, it appears that alternative work arrangements could be applicable to a multi-generational workforce, right? Given the course of the pandemic, employers implemented remote working and flexible schedules overnight. So based on worker demand, it does seem like they're here to stay. I sure hope so. And I'm so glad that you asked because alternative work arrangements are indeed a best practice for a multi-generational workforce. The pandemic has been so difficult in so many ways, but there has been a silver lining and that is it has created exciting new work arrangements and opportunities and potentially a more inclusive workforce. The added flexibility of alternative work arrangements lends itself to people who might otherwise have been unable to work. For example, students, stay-at-home moms and dads, caregivers, people with mobility or transportation limitations, even those transitioning to retirement. In short, alternative work arrangements can be helpful to workers at all stages of life. And I want to share some good news here. 
According to our survey findings, nine in 10 employers offer one or more types of alternative work arrangement. The most commonly cited are flexible schedules, followed by the ability to adjust work hours as needed uh, and the ability to work remotely. That's really encouraging, Catherine. And as referenced during my career in the field of human resources management, I knew a number of people who, due to family responsibilities, simply had to give up their employment because they just didn't have some of these options available to them. So this is uh, really good news here. You mentioned caregivers. What sort of presence uh, do they make up in the workforce? I'm so glad you asked the question, and you may be surprised by what our research has found. We know the number of family caregivers is growing with increases in longevity, as well as the aging of the baby boomer population, those who are retired. But the extent to which workers are also serving as caregivers could be elusive to employers. And let me share with you the number. Almost four in 10 workers, 38%, are either currently caregivers or have been a caregiver in the past. And there's some surprising generational differences. There's some widespread perceptions or rather misperceptions that caregiving is limited to older workers. That is not what our research finds. We see a high prevalence of caregivers across generations among Gen Z, Gen X, and baby boomers. And the prevalence is highest among millennials. Now, across generations, many caregivers have had to make adjustments to their employment situation as a result of their caregiving responsibilities, the most common being missing days of work. But at the far other end of the spectrum, some workers have had to give up their employment altogether. And I think it's really important to put a spotlight on this. Their caregiving out of a labor of love, but it could be harmful to their own careers, their own employment, and their long-term financial situation and ability to save for retirement and afford their own care. This is a really big issue for workers, but I need to point out this is also an issue for employers. It could lead to productivity issues, absenteeism, and even their ability to retain valuable employees. Well, again, I've witnessed these challenges firsthand for both employees and employers, and your, your heart really goes out to everyone because each side is basically between that proverbial rock and a hard place. So then to what extent are employers implementing programs to support caregiving employees? The good news is most employers are doing something, but the not so good news is they're not doing enough yet. The most commonly cited programs offered among employers is unpaid leave of absence, and that's at 37% of employers. Relatively few employers offer things like a paid leave of absence, online resources for caregivers, an employee assistance program, referrals and discounts to backup care, or something I think is really important, very few employers offer training for managers on how they can handle situations with caregiving employees. I think that's just such a great point. I mean, I think the empathy factor needs to certainly be front and center. And really, as the baby boomer generation grows older, there's no doubt that caregiving is going to continue to expand and be an issue of importance for both employers and employees. 
and it really goes without saying that it's in everyone's best interest for employers to step up in their support for caregiving employees versus potentially losing them because when employees don't feel valued or their needs met, uh, you know, they do tend to vote with their feet. Now, I'd like to pursue another dimension of the multi-generational workforce, and that's the persistency or at least the perception of ageism in the workplace. I mean, let's face it, historically, older workers have tended to be overlooked by employers in their employee recruiting and retention efforts. So it seems to me that an all-important aspect of multi-generational workforce is recognizing the wisdom and values of our older workers. Al, for me, this is a huge issue and an area of opportunity. With increases in longevity, workers want and need to work longer to save and prepare for a secure retirement, and they can only be successful if they have support from employers. Our research finds glimmers of hope. For example, almost 6 in 10 employers say they gave either a great deal or quite a bit of consideration to job applicants age 50 and older during the pandemic. And more than 8 in 10 employers agree they're supportive of their employees working past age 65. But is this real or is it just lip service? For me, the jury is still out. There's some academic research out there based on evidence uh, that suggests that employers are not as open to older workers as they might think they are, um, just the same as they're not as age-friendly as they might think they are. Unfortunately, I'm inclined to agree with you and almost really afraid to ask, what kind of data did your recent research uncover on this? I'd like to share a recent study led by University of California, Irvine. This study has found that the use of ageist language in job ads discourages applications from older workers. And in the case of this study, older workers is those who are age 40 and up. Quoting the study's co-author, David Newmark, UCI Distinguished Professor of Economics and co-director of the Center for Population, Inequality, and Policy, he says, this practice has roughly as large an impact on the hiring of older workers as direct age discrimination practices. That's heavy, that the subtleties, and it could even be unconscious on the part of employers, the way they write job ads could actually encourage potentially younger applicants and discourage older job applicants. And it raises the question, how does an employer create a age-friendly job ad so that the job resonates for applicants of all ages? Even though that's a, a bit of a discouraging note, I do want to share with you uh, some exciting news. On the other hand, and this relates to a project that my team and I have been working on for several years. Transamerica Institute has collaborated with University of Iowa's College of Public Health on an initiative in the state of Colorado. It's called Age Inclusive Management Strategies, or AIMS Colorado. And the response among Colorado state government and local employers has been tremendous. They recognize the value and wisdom of older workers and the opportunity they present in terms of enriching the lives of Coloradans 
and the success of their overall economy. So if you want to learn more about this project, please visit our website at transamericainstitute.org. Well, count me in, Catherine. I mean, that sounds terrific. And I, I think with companies getting a better handle on succession planning in terms of knowledge transfer to ensure they don't miss the boat or miss a beat, losing valued and uh, veteran expertise. Do you have any final thoughts uh, before we wrap things up today? For all the employers out there who are listening, I hope this episode of Clear Path, Your Roadmap to Health and Wealth, inspires you to learn more about the multi-generational workforce and best practices, and even better, uh, may encourage you to implement some best practices. Now, for all of the people in the workforce who are out there listening, I hope this conversation has been enlightening for you. Uh, especially so that you can be on the lookout for these best practices with your current employer, as well as take them into consideration for future employers. After all, you are the multi-generational workforce. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you so much again, Catherine. This has really been illuminating, and that's fortunately all the time we have for today. But before we exit, I'd also like to remind everyone of our recent podcasts on the importance of green spaces, the health benefits of dance, and transitioning to retirement. If you have ideas for future episodes, comments, or feedback, please email me or Catherine at info at transamericacenter.org. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Until the next time, I'm your host, Al Waller. Stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Clear Path, Your Roadmap to Health and Wealth is brought to you by Transamerica Institute, a nonprofit, private foundation dedicated to identifying, researching, and educating the public about health and wellness, employment, financial literacy, longevity, and retirement. You can find your weekly podcast on WYPR's website and mobile app, wherever you get your podcasts, and at transamericainstitute.org forward slash podcast. Clear Path, Your Roadmap to Health and Wealth is produced by the Transamerica Institute with assistance from WYPR. The information provided here is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as insurance, securities, RISA, tax, investment, legal, medical, or financial advice or guidance.